Ahead on Tim Talk, we sit down with a woman who left her medical practice to start preaching healthcare literacy on the streets and now is spreading the word like never before. Hello again, listeners, and thank you for coming back to this conversation. My guest today is no stranger to Tim Talk. We welcomed her onto the show two years ago to talk about her mission to improve health literacy through relatable, understandable, trustworthy health communication. She broadened her reach via social media through short videos called Dr. Lisa on the Street. Dr. Lisa Fitzpatrick, CEO of Grapevine Health. We are so glad to have you back on our show. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm uh, I'm honored, but also a little surprised that you wanted me to come back. Well, absolutely. And, you know, outreach to uh, individuals where we serve and helping with health literacy, it's going to make us uh, live up to our words of really caring about uh, people in the communities where they are and being an outward-reaching health system and not one that waits for folks to come to us because that's the key and one of the key lessons learned through COVID that I hope we all had better have learned or it's gonna, history is going to repeat itself. So thank you for what you do. We can learn from you. I think when last we spoke, we were still in the pandemic, and you were very concerned about the trust deficit that the healthcare community had with the general public. Where do you think we are today in terms of public trust? Sadly, I think we're still very much in the same place we were. And in some place, in some ways, we are even a little bit worse off. I think the trust was eroded so deeply during the pandemic, it's going to be really difficult for us to recover. And in some ways, we never had the trust we thought we did. So my specialty is infectious diseases. And most of my career, um, since graduating from my fellowship, I've taken care of people with HIV. And to be honest with you, all the things we we saw during the pandemic were themes we already struggled with for those of us who were working with HIV. A lot of the, the mistrust and misinformation about medications, about clinical trials, about, um, about the healthcare system's interest in preserving the health of black and brown and um, underserved communities or people who are marginalized. Those are one of the things that surfaced during the pandemic. So for those of us working in infectious diseases, it felt like a deja vu moment in some ways. And we've never really dug ourselves out of that hole to help people understand, you know, HIV is not some conspiracy. Um, so many people believe HIV was created in the laboratory so that it could be used to annihilate black people and gay people. And we've known that. We're confronted with that a lot. So... Fast forward to the pandemic and you hear people talking about how the, the vaccines uh, were created to harm people, how there's a new technology you shouldn't trust. It's really all the same thread, the same thread of mistrust and misinformation because we haven't done a great job building trust with people through information. Transparency is a big deal. Not just, you know, people talk a lot about drug price transparency and hospital pricing transparency. 
But transparency around diagnostics, um, being open and honest about uh, people's clinical conditions. Folks really pay attention to whether or not we're being truthful with them and whether or not we are listening to them. And my experiences, and not just in my clinical HIV practice, but all the street walking I've been doing, uh, really validates that, that people feel like we are not listening to them. So if you couple that feeling with all the confusion and conflicting information of the pandemic, um, I'm not surprised that we are still struggling with this trust issue. And the final thing I'll say on that is um, I was never a fan of vaccine mandates. And the reason is because of what I've just told you. I already knew that mistrust was there. And people don't like, especially in the United States, people do not like it when you tell them they have to do something. I thought a better way would be to use these types of health literacy approaches we're employing, finding people where they are, matching them with trusted messengers, really having civil conversations to help people um, understand what's going on and speaking to them in plain language in a respectful way. I think more people would be willing to accept and understand how we got to a vaccine so quickly um, as opposed to the way it was done. Outstanding. And that's at least four volumes of great thought and content that we could uh, read and talk about and listen to and learn. So I t you, you, uh, I'll use this term in a very positive way. You plucked a few nerves with me in a really good way in what you just said. And I'm going to share a couple of those. First, my experience through COVID, I've really felt, and I could even show you some material I share with gr big groups of people, that once we were out of the clinical side of COVID, that the preparation response, the high caseload, all those kinds of things, once we were beyond that, the community trust would be off the charts, that we would have a halo over our heads, that we were the true heroes during that, all of us, I mean, you know, we were in, in healthcare, we were the true heroes at the time, whether it was setting up uh, mass, vac mass vaccination sites, we had eight of those across the state, setting up testing because the state wasn't sure how they were going to get testing accessible, setting up pop-up clinics for and, and having our home care nurses go into, um, into homeless shelters or on the streets and that kind of thing and, and increasing awareness to then monoclonal antibodies when that came out and setting up those clinics. So we always said yes, and then we figured out how to do it. And I just felt that for generations of the communities we served, people in the state of Maine would remember who they could trust. And that was true at that moment. What I absolutely didn't realize or predict, and my skin is thin on, and I need to get thicker skin on, I guess, is how short that memory was. Because it seemed like then once the real trouble started for us economically, but people don't care about our economics. That's not what their trust is based on, what our economics are. Their trust is based on how easily accessible uh, are, are we to meet their needs. How much do we respect them? How much do we give them that extra time and all of those kinds of things? So what 
you know, you you said a couple of things again. In some ways, we never have the trust we thought we did. I've been thinking a lot about that, and um, I think that's very true. I think there was a bit of skepticism, especially as healthcare got a little bit more, especially hospitals and health systems got a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, just through that alone. Whether we have values that show we care about all that we serve and our primary characteristic of the culture of our organization is to be a caring organization that starts with caring for those that we work with and then also to those that we serve. Um, that wasn't always the case, and you can't just say those words. You got to continue to raise that, raise that bar. Um, so, how do you respond to that? You listen and learn. And you said that very, very well. You know, do people feel like they're listened to? And so that's got to be a big thing. And therefore, don't evade your vulnerability. We're all vulnerable, and we're all you know imperfect. And the best thing that we can do right now as healthcare providers in doing something about making people feel more listened to and therefore developing ways to help them in, in their, their care and their care planning, their ownership of their health and that kind of a thing is to really listen and to learn from that and then do something about it. Um, because the, the mistrust was there. And the last thing I'll say is, Okay, mistrust is is there, has been there. It fluctuates in levels, but our job is to earn trust. And so when I said a bit ago about thin-skinned, it's because I just, I, I, I thought for the longest time, don't they realize how much we care? Don't they realize how much we're, we're trying to give and do something in, with all odds against us, with all these headwinds and all these other descriptors of, a tough situation, um, both clinically and then the economics of it and all that. And sure, one could say, and across our country, people are getting less trusting, and whether it's healthcare or anything, any aspect of care. Um, but you, you absolutely, you know, said it as far as improving our skills of listening and learning from one another, which is why I'm glad you're here, Dr. Fitzpatrick. There are a couple of things I want to react to. Um, first, is this notion that people don't pay attention to the cost drivers or the financial considerations in health systems. You know, they they pay attention, but not in the way we'd want them to. One of the most common things I hear on the street in underserved communities is that doctors are drug dealers who are collaborating with the pharmaceutical industry to make money. And this erodes trust. I mean, if you're thin-skinned, that's a hard thing to hear, that people think you're really just trying to make money and you don't care about them. But if you think about the optics, the optics are all about money. I remember one, one of the reasons I decided to leave academia was because I received a memo from our department chair telling us the bed census was too low. Now, here I am thinking about, and I'm being really honest, talking to a hospital administrator <laughs> who cares about your bed census, I know, but one of the things I'm also known for is honesty. So 
that concerned me because I wanted to keep people out of the hospital, but I was working in a hospital that really needed people in the hospital. And I had trouble reconciling that. So when people in the community would say things like that to me, it made me realize they were paying attention. They don't really understand all that, all that you have to consider, you know, all, all the things you have to balance and weigh to keep a, even a clinic running, not just a health system. And on the outside, it looks to them like we don't care and it's all about money. And I have so many stories about that, about people who have given me that perspective in, in different ways. Um, the other thing um, is about how people uh, perceive care. Now, we do a lot of qualitative data collection. So we talk directly to people where we have focus groups or discussion groups with community members, um, community organizations, and patients. And they, they tell us, I mean, we don't just ask, well, why did you go to the emergency room? They might give us an answer. Oh, my doctor said I should come here. We don't stop there. We drill down and try to really get to the root of the problem. And it always comes back to something about um, the operations, the process that made them believe they weren't a priority. And so a good example of this is, well, my doctor's always making me wait. But then I was late, and they told me I had to reschedule, right? So we don't think about those things because we are also busy trying to, um, you know, keep the trains on time. But it's a it's a real challenge, and if you're not consistently listening uh, to how people are perceiving the care and services we're providing, um, this disconnect will continue uh, to be there. But we have to be aware of it because I think a lot of the customers we've had, they don't recognize there's a disconnect. So that's that's been very interesting for us. Thank you. And I, I would um, add listening with humility and listening with the intent to learn and do something about it. That is so true. And that's what you do. And that's what you do in Lisa on the Street. So I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about um, the videos that you produce um, obviously, the, the um, you know those that have experienced those tools, um, you produce a very effective uh, tool to connect with people where they are, as you've already said on this podcast. But it's not just where you're talking to them, but how you're talking to them too. So, can you tell our listeners the effective ways to reach people where they are? And I think our listeners, with a lot of them being, you know, caregivers themselves and with patients and with community individuals and that kind of a thing, providers, if you will, and other healthcare uh, professionals, how can the providers and other healthcare professionals improve communication with patients? What have, what have you found to be the, you know, the keys that open up uh, the, the door to trust so that we can together make it a wider door? Well, I've been asked this question before, and people, particularly doctors, don't really like my answer. Um, but it involves humility, recognizing you don't really understand where this person's coming from. You've never walked in their shoes. I mean, as we, as we train 
we've, I'm of a generation that didn't really talk about bias. So there was a lot of bias embedded in my training and the way I think about and approach things. I'm much better now. But people recognize when you're judging them or you are um, being condescending, even if you don't think you are. But saying things like, as we talked about last time, or don't you remember, or we've been over this before, which sounds very benign to you, but very it sounds very condescending to them. And there's subtle things like that. Um, providers also need to remember our body language tells a story. And I think there's research on this, and so your body language communicates uh, even more effectively than what you're saying. You know, there's a quote, um, don't watch what I, or listen to what I say, watch what I do, or something like that. So this woman, um, we, were, we were asking people about how they decide they trust a doctor. And listening was the, the most common. Are they listening? So we'd have to say, well, what does that mean? How do you know if they're listening? And this woman said, well, I always notice when my doctor starts, like we can be having a conversation, but if she starts moving to the door, then I know it's time to wrap up. And then when she puts her hand on the door, I know I need to stop talking. And that was insightful even for me because I'm sure I've done that before. And they're picking up on these subtle these subtle cues that, that we are not really paying attention to. Um, and then finally, the language. We are doing a terrible job at demystifying health information. Because these terms are so, um, they're so prevalent. Television, I mean, if you look at any drug ad on television, it has so many multisyllable words that people would have to go and look up on Google if they could figure out how to spell it. Um, we take it for granted people know what these words are. A woman asked me on the street, she said, I, this, is, this is the thing I'm having. Like, what kind of doctor do I need to go to? So I had to explain the difference, you know, between a rheumatologist and a hematologist and an oncologist because we say, oh, well, I'm going to refer you to the gastroenterologist. But the person may not say, oh, what kind of doctor is that and what did they do? So I think just being mindful that we can communicate amongst ourselves as healthcare providers and medical people, we understand each other, but that doesn't mean it other people or the people we're taking care of really understand what we're talking about because they will nod along and then they'll go home and ask their grandmother. This is what the doctor said, but it's like the game of telephone because by the time they get to the grandmother, well, this is what I think the doctor said. And then the grandmother gives the interpretation on an imperfect message, right? So, so it's, um, it's been really um, humbling to hear how people experience and receive um, our, you know, our, our care and attention because we think we're doing a good job, but they tell a different story. Wow. You know, that, that's so fabulous. And my mind is going a lot of, a lot of places as I listen to you. Um, and the, the one place I'm, I'm going to is talking with all of our, our team of healthcare people. There's over 10,000 people that work at Northern Light Health. And everybody has their different roles kind of a thing. 
and we know that there that we, we have some uh, staff shortages in nursing, certain specialties. You touched on a couple where you know in, in in other states, but and we have the same problem. You know, you could wait over a year to get to see a rheumatologist, for example, that kind of thing. Um, gastroenterology. You know, there's thousands of people that are waiting to have their their uh, test done, their, their diagnostic uh, procedure done. You know, thousands. And so, and we're we're playing. Everybody's doing the best they can, but guess what? The cavalry's not going to come, you know, charging in, and and all that is going to be straightened out. And so, we need to make sure that those moments when we're with those that we're serving, or we're prioritizing, hey, I'm not reaching out as well as I could. I'm not connecting as well as I could, as you and I both said, with humility, saying that not with defeatism, not being a, you know, the, the victim of whatever, but being a healthcare person that's eye to eye, hand in hand with the patients or reaching out uh, to them. Guess what? If we're just, I wonder what difference we could make if we all just really connected and listened on the, and, and detect the kind of things that you're hearing, that you're sharing with us right now. So that's a great message. So listeners, I hope you replay this again and listen to Dr. Fitzpatrick because this, it's always in the budget. It's not an excuse. It's how we're going to make a difference is how we work with each other and work with people. So one other question. But I, can yeah, I just please. give out yes. a shout out though to the healthcare providers because I know, you know, docs, nurses, we're, we're under a lot of pressure and I want people to know they're appreciated, but at the same time, we are in the business of customer service. And so we have to find ways to balance that. Um, and sometimes it's hard to ask for help or, you know, mental mental health support if needed. Um, and there's a whole range of ways we can do that. But I think there's still a stigma among healthcare professionals about seeking um mental health support and I just want to encourage people because to show up in the way you're talking about day after day um, when it's really a struggle I don't I don't know how you continue that without some sort of mental health support so just want to acknowledge that it it is hard and we appreciate people showing up to work when it's such a challenging time but uh, we need them to be whole and healthy and that includes seeing about their own mental health. Very true. Perfect. One other question I, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Fitzpatrick. How can healthcare literacy and improving communications like we were just talking about, um, what's the direct correlation between that and improving outcomes, health outcomes? Okay. Let me, can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. I hope I didn't tell you this story last time because this story to me is so powerful. Um, it, it was a, a man who lives in my neighborhood. And stop me if I told you this story last time, because then I'll have to tell you a different story. But um, I hadn't seen him in a while. And when I saw him again, I said, where have you been? He says, oh, I was in the hospital. I said, really? What happened? He said, well, they told me there was something wrong with my heart. But there's nothing wrong with my heart. Look at me. I feel good. I, assuming I haven't told you this story. No, no, keep going. This is great. Okay. So I said, well, 
if you feel great and there's nothing wrong with your heart, why did you go to the hospital in the first place? He said, well, I couldn't breathe. So I had to explain to him how his heart, you know, having a problem with his heart leads to problems with breathing. Like we don't take the time. And even in that hospitalization, if they explained to him what heart failure was, they didn't explain it in a way that he understood it because to him, his breathing had nothing to do with his heart. And he's had multiple hospitalizations since then. He doesn't take the medications because he doesn't believe he needs it. He says, they keep prescribing this medicine for me and I have medicine stacked up in my bathroom cabinet. I said, well, why do you keep, why do you keep taking the prescriptions? Are you telling them? He says, no, I just think they need the money. So I just go ahead and take the prescription. <laughs> Very common. There's a direct correlation between him having low health literacy about his health condition and the cost of these repeat hospitalizations, medication, not adherence, all related to trust and low health literacy. But it's not his fault. Who's communicating with him in a way that he connects and understands and believes that it's in his best interest to follow the advice, the medical advice, so that he doesn't keep ending up in the hospital in heart failure? Yes. Great, great example. And, um, you know, I hope what I'm going to add to that isn't too much of a distant tangent, so I apologize ahead of time if it is, but you made me think, as you have throughout this podcast, um, of... The way healthcare, in in my my view of the elephant of healthcare, you know, um, that so much of our resource is geared toward things that don't necessarily enhance what you're talking about. It's geared to justifying a, you know, a service or a charge, or going back in and you know, and uh, you know, again, getting either after the fact permission or before the fact permission or, you know, all those kinds of things, um, you know, uh, challenging a uh, denial of a claim. My goodness, we have a whole army, mini army that's there. They're there to say, oh, we got denied. Now let's make sure we get back in there. And if if we could take all of that resource and put it toward people that are on the street and people that are connecting and helping, therefore, the doctors and nurses understand that. Because the doctors and nurses, you're right. So what a stressful uh, position and responsibility that they have. And they can't. we can't just keep adding to what they're doing. That's right. So, But we can add to their team. We can add to their team that has a direct correlation, you know, not only with, as ISU, patients and outcomes, but direct correlation to um, how effective and how satisfied and gratified the caregivers are in their work and what they do because they have people helping them understand these needs. I think one of the one of the things that's demoralizing for healthcare providers is that sometimes we feel like we're just tuning people up. Like this is a factory, you know, this part's broken, let me fix that for right now until it breaks again. And um and that, and that can be really frustrating to see, you know, the same people over and over with the same conditions. But think about who we are as a society and what we prioritize. How is it that we have allowed this system to, to escalate this system 
by which the insurance company is actually controlling what's happening with the doctor and the patient, what's happening with the health system and doctors and so on. Um, I don't know. I, I feel really, it saddens me, but I feel really discouraged about it because that I think that needs to change. This notion that the gatekeeper knows more about what we need for patients than we do. That's a, it's a real problem. Yeah. Well, one, one last thought I have before we, uh, we, we wrap up and I also want to see if you have any last thoughts, Dr. Fitzpatrick, but my last thought, uh, I'll give you the last word on that is that, um, you know, I heard this, this one, uh, sort of a healthcare financial, healthcare financial guru in America is talking about the really difficult situation economically that healthcare is in. And he's pointing, though, to the root causes, a lot of things that you and I are talking about right now, and that the solutions are a lot of the things you and I are talking about, like be humble, you know, don't hide your vulnerability, show your vulnerability as you listen and as you learn, that kind of thing. But uh, you, you said something just now about, you know, what I can't remember if you use the word frustrate or, you know, something on those lines. I love what he said, and I try to live this. <clears throat> we have the responsibility now to be enthusiastic, to be enthusiastic. So as much as that might sound like rah-rah, that's not what he meant. What he meant was listen and learn enthusiastically, embrace your imperfections enthusiastically, and don't dwell on, you know, the problems in healthcare. Be enthusiastic about creating a new future in healthcare. Well, I think that's a great last word. I can't top that. You've just inspired me because a lot of times I don't feel very enthusiastic. So thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Fitzpatrick. And and thank you uh, all. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed this, Dr. Fitzpatrick, so much. And I can't believe it's been two years. Um, but seems like uh, it's all coming back to me the last time we we connected and i hope you feel that way too i think uh you know to get on this kind of a podcast and not having seen someone for for two years never seen them in real person by the way we're that's that's a new thing seeing people in real in person again it's seeing people in person again it's a it's making a comeback uh but thank you for being here and sharing more about uh your 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 mission and thank you to our podcast listeners as well until next time I'm Tim Dentry from Northern Light Health, encouraging you to listen and act to promote our culture of caring, diversity, and inclusion that starts with caring for one another. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find new episodes on our website at northernlighthealth.org and on Google, Apple, and Spotify, making it easier for you to listen on the go on your favorite app.